Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. In an earlier podcast, I shared my SOAR story with you. Today, I'm going to tell you what SOAR means to me. S stands for sharing skills and knowledge with others and collaborating with them by networking with people of all walks of life, cultures, nationalities, and beliefs. If necessary, actively seek out people, get to know them, and learn about their cultures and languages. Social media and live in-person networking should be used simultaneously and vigorously. To use an old school phrase, leave no stone unturned because in this new school, high tech, electronic world, there is simply no substitute for old school, live, person to person contact. Don't just network with people who look and think as you do. Step outside your comfort zone and expand your network. O stands for operating through life and your career with integrity and dignity. Honest, reliable, hardworking, creative, resourceful, trustworthy, and a person of integrity are just a few of the words you should want to be used to describe you. If your personal brand or reputation precedes you, it should be one of which you're proud. Personal brands, which evolve over time based on perceptions and the opinions that result from them, take a long time to build and only moments to destroy. Protect your personal brand. O stands for opening your mind to change, new ideas and new people, and keeping it open. Embrace change. A stands for acquiring information and knowledge. Information and knowledge will improve your ability to stay abreast of industry developments and global influences. Unbiased, reliable information is powerful and should be used wisely and judiciously. If nothing else, it will enable you to make well-reasoned career and life decisions. R stands for my father's mantra, respect the rights of others. This phrase reverberates often throughout my mind. My father primarily referred to racial differences, but today, because our employment reality is multi, his mantra has broader application. Workplaces are now multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender expression. 
Our workplaces are staffed with individuals with different perspectives and viewpoints. Accordingly, accept and respect that people will have different levels of abilities and disabilities. Religions, they will belong to different races, nationalities, and will self-identify on their terms, their race, sexual orientation, and gender expression. I suggest that you check out the film, The Intern, starring Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro. The development of the characters portrayed by Hathaway and De Niro and the unexpected synergies that develop between them is, in my opinion, a testament to the benefits of collaboration and working together. The Intern is a delightful story about a millennial, a baby boomer, and their co-workers and how they learn to work together for their mutual benefit for the benefit of their co-workers, and ultimately for the benefit of Hathaway's business. In my opinion, the intern should become a staff development training film. In conclusion, by following your passion, developing multiple income streams, sharing your skills and knowledge, operating throughout your career with integrity and dignity, assuming responsibility for your career and respecting the rights of others, you will be on your way to soaring like a majestic wing-spread eagle. Our multifaceted and constantly changing working environment represents an unprecedented opportunity, an opportunity to learn and to soar. This is your time. R also stands for remember. Remember to make quality time for those who are important to you. And remember, only you can determine whether or not you're soaring. I hope you soar. My guest today is Michael Scolamero, Executive Director of the Ballet West, Utah's ballet company. Michael previously served as Executive Director of the Miami City Ballet for three years. Prior to the Miami City Ballet, Michael was Pennsylvania Ballet's Executive Director for 17 years the longest tenure in the company's history and among the longest of any leader of a major ballet company. Michael has a Bachelor of Science degree in music education from Lebanon Valley College and a Master of Music from Penn State University. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Beverly. Now, Michael, did you always know that you wanted a career in music? Yeah, it became pretty clear to me in high school. I was involved in music there very extensively, choir, drama, band, wind ensemble. And I just, I enjoyed it a lot. And then I began to, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to study privately voice and clarinet. And that's when I got the bug and really decided that was how I wanted to make a living going forward. Well, if you were so versatile, musically that is, and as someone who can't sing and can't play an instrument, I'm in awe of your abilities. How did you narrow the field? I mean, how did you decide that you didn't want to be a vocalist, you didn't want to be a singer, or that you didn't want to play an instrument professionally, I mean? I graduated from college and I was supposed to be a music teacher. My degree was in music education and I would have been qualified to teach instrumental music from kindergarten through high school and general music in elementary school. And even though I enjoyed my student teaching experience, I really didn't feel that it was something that I could do day in and day out and have it be my career. So I 
was fortunate enough that I was able to immediately move on to graduate school where I studied clarinet performance. And I had hoped to also study conducting because I wanted to be a conductor in addition to an instrumentalist. But in all honesty, the ability to earn a living from either of those, the competition was extremely fierce. Not that I was looking for a job while I was in graduate school, but I knew that I needed to find something that would allow me to support myself. And I got involved in arts administration at Penn State as part of my assistantship. I taught music theory to undergraduate students, and I also was involved in basically running administrative functions for the conductor of the symphony orchestra and the symphonic wind ensemble. It was in that capacity that I learned that I, I was good at it. I always was organized, and I always had an ability to plan and to think strategically, but I was a volunteer coordinator for a summer arts festival in State College, and that was my first foray into arts administration, and I enjoyed it, and I just continued it. Okay, how did you develop in that area? Did you have to acquire additional skills that you take other courses beyond graduate school? Well, I was going to then after Penn State And after this festival, I was contemplating going to Drexel University in Philadelphia for a master's in arts administration. It was at that time one of only a handful of universities that had such a program. And I really decided at that point, though, that having another advanced degree was really not something I wanted to do. I wanted to get practical experience. So I began to volunteer for a small community orchestra in Haddonfield, New Jersey, which is in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And I was the personnel manager there. It was a volunteer position. The orchestra was small, but it had a a national reputation based on its programming. And from that point on, I then coordinated their East Coast solo competition. And then I was the executive director of a small chamber music organization, again, in the Philadelphia suburbs, all the while gaining experience on grant writing, marketing, fundraising, things of that nature. And then my real big break came with Pennsylvania Ballet as executive director. Wow. How did you decide which schools to attend, given that you didn't really have a a firm idea after college exactly what you wanted to do? You knew it was music, but it doesn't sound like you were completely sure which way you wanted to go in that area, in that career. I wasn't. Lebanon Valley had done some recruiting at my high school, Monarch Township High School, and I also auditioned at Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York. Both schools had really uh, fine music education reputations. And at the time, looking back, I think I wanted to just be a band director at a high school, just a band director at a high school. And those were two programs that were quite highly regarded. And my dad and I went out to see Lebanon Valley and my, my mom and my sisters and I went out to see Ithaca. And I really was more partial to the central Pennsylvania campus and decided it was a bit smaller. They were about the same distance from where I grew up, and I ended up going there. Penn State, on the other hand, was more of a, I had this conducting bug, and it was one of the few universities that had an instrumental conducting master's. There were many that had choral conducting, but very few had instrumental. Well, it probably helped you to get the job at Pennsylvania Ballet The fact that you had gone to college, both undergraduate and graduate school in the state, you think that helped? 
I think it may have in that I knew when I was in college, we would, a bunch of us on weekends would make the hour and a half trip over to, to uh, Philadelphia and we'd see the Philadelphia Orchestra at the Academy of Music. Ricardo Muti was conducting at the time and we would leave and stand in line for the student rush tickets and drive back late. And it gave me a real sense of what the city was like. And I kind of got the bug for being in an urban area, having grown up in the suburbs and the campuses for both Penn State and Lebanon Valley were fairly, I wouldn't say rural, but they were not really suburban either. And I just, I fell in love with Center City, Philadelphia, and I moved to New Jersey, Southern New Jersey, and then ultimately into the city. So you've relocated from more than one state to get to Utah. I mean, you've been to, in Pennsylvania, you've been in Florida, and now you're in Utah. Was that a challenge for you, relocating from state to state, leaving your family behind? It was. You know, when I left Pennsylvania Ballet after 17 years, they were concluding the 50th season. And it just seemed like the right time to move on. I was getting antsy for a new challenge. And I learned about the position in Miami. And I wasn't quite sure about living in Miami. I'd never lived outside the Northeast. But I flew down there a couple of times, and it's really quite an amazing place from a visual beauty standpoint. And uh, I was fortunate in that I was able to keep my home in Philadelphia while moving down into a, a great little apartment on the ocean, and I could walk to work. And the company there is amazing, and it was uh, comparable in the work it presented to Pennsylvania Ballet. It was a little bit larger as far as the budget, not much national reputation. And I just made it work. I got back to Philadelphia often. It's, it was an easy, you know, it's a two hour flight. And then after three years, I moved back to Philadelphia and decided, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Would I consult? Would I continue to be an executive director for either a symphony orchestra or an opera company or a ballet company? And then I got the call from a colleague with whom I'd worked in the past about Ballet West. And I went out and I met with the search committee and I wasn't sold initially because I, it's far, it's far from where I grew up and my family, I'd be leaving them behind. It's really a beautiful state. And the company here is amazing. The people are amazing. Uh, it's very different. I mean, each city in which I've lived is distinctly different and they all have their own, their own strengths. Salt Lake, has grown tremendously in the last 20 years. Um, it's vibrant. It's got mountains. And, you know, based on its location in the country, you can be on the West Coast in an hour and a half. You can be in the middle of the country in an hour and a half, two hours. It's a great place to get to know the country. And it's also been very fulfilling professionally. Well, you know, you have family that you left behind. Did they encourage you to relocate from state to state each time you had to make the decision? Were they supportive? They were supportive. You know, I think my mom would have loved for me to be on the East Coast. She would never say that. She never would want to stand in the way. But, you know, it's when my dad was living, they would come down to every program in Philadelphia. They'd drive down and spend the weekend at my house. And I miss that. And I miss being able to have my mom do that. But she's been out here. And they also came down to Florida a few times. They saw the company at Lincoln Center in New York. And they've been very supportive in following my career. And I'm grateful for that. 
Now, I may be mistaken, but were you instrumental in getting the company to Lincoln Center? So it was on the drawing board when I got to Miami, but the, the contract had not yet been negotiated. And so that was that fell on me. And so we were there in the spring of 16. And I started in the summer of 14 and in Miami. And so by I'd say within the next 12 months, we, we wrapped it up. And I was able to secure funding and work out all the details to bring Miami City Ballet to the Coke Theater. Well, kudos to you. What personal advice would you give someone who wanted to pursue a career like yours? I think when I look back and see how my career evolved, I feel I kept an open mind and a willingness to do anything to move forward. So it wasn't beneath me to stuff envelopes or to set up music stands or to drag risers into a hall and set them up. You do what you have to do if you want to move forward. And it meant long hours. It meant sacrificing time with family and friends. But I knew at the end of the day that it was because I didn't specifically have a degree in administration of the arts that I would need to prove myself somehow. And so I resolved to volunteer initially, and I developed some very strong contacts through the conductor there and the executive director at the Hatfield Symphony. It's now called Symphony and C. And those contacts were very useful to me in terms of advancing my career. And then I actually went on to run a choral organization in downtown Philadelphia. And then when the opportunity came up in Philadelphia, I at the ballet company, I was torn because I I had seen the company in the past, but I wasn't a subscriber or a lover of ballet. And so I was outside my comfort zone. And but I knew that it was an opportunity from a career standpoint that I needed to keep an open mind about. And so again, going back to your question about advice, keeping an open mind, looking at options and not always expecting everything to be spelled out and sequenced in a way that you feel it needs to be, I think is extremely important. Too many people I see today want things to fall in place on their timetable in a way that supports their own personal needs and goals from compensation to position to geographic location. And look, if you can get that, it's wonderful, but it really works that way. And so you have to have you have to be flexible, and I think you have to be very clear in your mind as to what you want. But I think you also have to take each step and realize and evaluate how that step will ultimately lead to where you want to be. And while it may not be in the exact sequence that you want, if you see value in what you're doing as far as gaining skills and experience and contacts and networks, then you should do it. And it sounds like, Michael, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you kept in touch with the contacts you made starting in college and then in graduate school and then after graduate school. So you've maintained and nurtured those contacts. I, I have. I really, I'm, I'm a basically loyal person and I like to remember people who have been good to me. And I'm not the kind of person that my Life is in chapters and departments, and then once that chapter ends, if that it's closed forever, I always try to take something from it 
and bring it to me at my next adventure. And I've been very fortunate for the most part. I mean, there have been some exceptions or one exception, but for the most part, where I've been able to continue lifelong relationships and help people in those positions as they've helped me. You know, it's important. That's a nice way to put it. And the way I think of it is I try to create win-wins. You know, it's like when you can help someone who's helped you or help someone who may not have helped you, you know, karma is a positive. It comes back. What you do comes back on you. At least that's the way I feel. And I guess that's similar to what you just said. I agree. I mean, I think, look, could there have been shortcuts? Perhaps. But I think in the process, I would have had to compromise some personal principles and some integrity and people who know me and have followed my career, funders in particular, some of the largest foundations in the country. I know that when I went back to them or if people spoke to them about their work with me and my organization, I would never be concerned that they would question anything, any decision I'd made or how I conducted myself or the organizations I ran. That to me, my reputation, how I'm viewed is just you know, that's extremely important to me. I agree. I feel exactly the same way. You know, they call it personal brand now. Whatever you call it, whether it's your personal brand, your reputation, whatever it is you call it, the nomenclature doesn't matter. No. It's the underlying characteristics that form the the discussion. You want people to describe you in positive ways, people of integrity, dignity, reliability. You know, if you don't have those kind of attributes, hopefully you see the need to acquire them and you can go about rehabilitating your personal brand because it's important. Absolutely. It's very difficult to recover from a series of lapses of judgment or just poor judgment. It's difficult. It's it's a big country, but it's it's small at the same time. And yeah word gets around. And technology and social media make it smaller. Absolutely. Now, Michael, before we end, is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners? I consider myself fairly fortunate in terms of the career that I've had. I've worked with amazing organizations. I've been able to lead organizations and have every day, for the most part, I enjoy coming to work. I get to remain involved in with music and art, and dance, costumes and lighting and creativity. I've been fortunate to be able to bring my companies to the Kennedy Center on numerous occasions, to Lincoln Center, to the Edinburgh Festival, to theaters in Chicago and Miami. And I mean, it's Minneapolis and it's really quite rewarding to have looked back and seen all the, the role that I played in creating new ballets, commissioning scores, providing a sound financial footing for people to earn a living and to help them raise their families. You know, I've been doing this now 23 years running ballet companies, and I like to think I've got a few more years left doing it. I continue to learn every day. I never thought after the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, that we'd have anything close to resembling that. And here we are in the middle of a health emergency. And it's different in terms of what the triage options are that are available to organizations such as mine. But we'll figure it out and we'll get through this. And I would just encourage anybody who has even, I wouldn't say a dream, but has a 
you know, their gut's telling them they want to do something, listen to your gut and do everything you can to make that happen. But be realistic at the same time. I was realistic at the beginning. I knew I wasn't the less than 1% as far as talent in performing that would make that I'd be able to earn a living doing that. And I moved in a, within the field in a different direction. And it's been very rewarding and uh, I'm very grateful for it. Michael, thank you so much. I so appreciate you taking the time to be with me today and to talk to my listeners. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity, Beverly. Thank you for, for giving me that. I don't know if I'll ever get to Utah, but if I do, I'm coming to the ballet, Michael. You must. You'd be pleasantly surprised. It's a great state. It really is. And it's an amazing company. It really is. Well, I look forward to seeing you again. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.